This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello and welcome to Anatomy of Us. I'm your host, Melanie Studley. Yo, guys, what's up? My name is Seth Studley. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Today we're talking to... John Deloney, Dr. John Deloney, and his brand new book, Own Your Past, Change Your Future. And we jam out on this stuff because it's talking about high accountability, fix your crap, own your stuff, and then move forward to create a life, a family, a relationship, a career that you love, that you want to live. So he's pretty cool. We talk about hunting and stuff, and this is not the first time he's been on the show. He's chill. We love him. You guys are going to love him too. So check it out. All right. You're going to love it. Enjoy. Dr. John Deloney. What's up, my man? What up? Yo, so how's How it going out there in Nashville? We're rocking, man. Awesome. I, I for real need you to connect me with your artist. I've got to oh, get yeah. some skulls behind me, man. Yeah. Do really it. Awesome. Do it. Yeah, I know a guy. Well, I know a guy. Actually a lady. Yeah, so. Guy. Yeah. yeah, so. How are you? How are you two? Y'all doing great? Yeah. We are. Yeah, doing awesome. good. Uh, winter, raising puppies. Being raising coaches. puppies, doing some stuff, doing coaching. Hanging. What kind of dogs are you raising? Australian Shepherds. I'm mm. obsessed. Don't Do even you ask. love okay. Australian Shepherds? With all of my heart. And <gasps> when's your next litter due? They're here right now. I could fly you one. They're literally ready to go <sighs> as of yesterday. Let's let's talk via text message when this whole thing's over. People don't want to hear us talk about your dogs. But. dogs. I am coming out there best. again to Nashville end of March. So well, sneak one in one. a suitcase, yo. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> I've done it before. It's not it's old school. That's old hat for us. It was a carry-on. Yeah. <laughs> so uh Deloney, why don't you introduce yourself for uh folks who are maybe new to our show or uh, don't know what you got going on? We know and we love it. So yeah, tell us a little bit about Let me introduce myself. What's that song? Let me introduce myself. My name is Home. Yeah, remember that? Oh god. Um, I do. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, my name is John, and I, uh, man, for about the last 20 years, I've worked in colleges and universities and um, as dean of students and also working in housing and all kinds of different jobs. But I was a high school teacher, and then I also worked with police officers and first responders after hours to do crisis response, to show up and do death notifications and sit with people when the worst of the worst could have happened. And um, then a few years ago, I gave, I guess, a year. Yeah, two years ago now, I gave a was giving a talk to about a thousand people at this event, and somebody here at uh, Ramsey Solutions saw him and said, "I want to hire that guy. Uh, we need a mental health person." And so for the last few years, I've just been writing and speaking and doing my radio show, um, talking to people when the wheels are falling off their lives too. Same stuff, just in a different medium. Right. Yeah. And I love, love, love and you. What y'all? I mean, we, we all three have the same heart, man. Um, there's so many people who are hurting and struggling mm-hmm. and um, how can we set up the right people and systems and support for those folks just so they can make the next right decision. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was really cool to see you speak live and it was funny because it, and I remember you even talking about it, like you were, it was, you felt kind of uncomfortable or something. And it was like, I, I didn't know who you were, but I had seen you at the event and then you spoke and it was like the most impactful well, hold thing Hold on, what event? Ever. It was, it was the, the Ramsey Influencer event. event. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. even know, February of, I have no idea when it was. Two but anyway, mm-hmm. it was so impactful. Then you told the story about being on the phone with yeah. the father who was trying to find his kid and you're on the phone with the police officer in the other mm. ear. And yeah. like, 
finding out that the kid had actually committed suicide. Is that what it was? He'd and then you he died yeah. by suicide. Yeah. And, yeah. and then on the other ear, the dad, they had turned the phone on. So mm-hmm. we've been tracking his phone and he had turned his phone off. And then when the police officer turned the phone back on, when they found the body in the car, they turned the phone back on and the father immediately called me and was screaming, cheering. Like, we found him. We found him. He's alive. We found him. Yeah. And I was cheering too. Cause I'm a dad too. I mean, I was cheering. We were, I was jumping up and down in my office. I was a suit. I was just a nerd. I was so excited. And then I, my, other, my office phone rang. So I grabbed it. And I told the dad in this year, hold on one second. And I grabbed my office phone. And it was the state trooper telling me they found the body of a student. And yeah, so I'm sitting there with the phones on both ears. And that was a, a, a holy moment for me. That was a hard, right. yeah. That was one of those reverberating moments that will last me forever. Right. Man, I didn't know we were going to talk about that. But like, yeah, being in the mental health world, and I've been a therapist for, I don't know, 13 years or so. You always say 13 years, even though it's like every year you still say the same amount. <laughs> I don't we know. Do the math. It's just like in my mind, it's like, it it's like 13. that meme, you know, it's like, oh, you know, this, this picture of this car will always be, you know, from my childhood. Right, it was right. like 50 years ago now right. or something like <laughs> that. You know, so I don't know, a skewed version of time. But um, I remember I got so burned out. I still do some consulting stuff with homeless folks and, uh, certain populations, but just so burned out, man. It's just so heavy. Mm-hmm. Like it takes a different kind of person to, and that's not being weird or bragging or anything. It's like, why do I do that? And I'm like, well, I feel like I have to. I'm like, part of it is like, I'm, I'm a helper. You know, do you ever feel that way as a mental health person? And yeah, pathologically so. Um, yeah, I, I, that's something I've got to watch in myself is I can sometimes use other people's pain to prop myself up. Mm. and I'm going to go get in the middle of somebody else's stuff, or I'm going to get in the middle of my, something my wife's going through. I'm going to jump in the middle of that because she needs my help. Mm-hmm. And if I don't feel that sense of somebody needs me, then my instinct, my, you know, it's, it's not a great response, but it's to pout like, Ooh. and that, yeah. So I, I have a pathological need to run into the building when the building's on fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not always the smart, wise thing to do. Yeah. But, but those people that you were helping are very thankful. That's right. That's right. So it's like, but I think, I think culturally, I think every one of us is, especially last couple of years, man, has felt that need to sit there and just stare at our stupid phones all day long, waiting for the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And I think we've all got addicted to what's the next worst thing that's going to come. Right. Mm. And there's something about just putting that stuff down. And right. choosing to, I'm not going to enter into that space because mm-hmm. I can't, I'm not, I can't, I'm not going to be of service to this interaction. Right. right. Yeah. Um, I have a thought, like you were talking about, you know, the sort of the role that it, the, the thing that it does to your mind to be on the, the, you know, metaphoric double ends of the phone there, right. With the father and then the police officer. And then your comment about what type of person it takes to do this work. And I would love to sort of, I don't know, dive a little bit deeper into what has this work done for you and how you see humanity? I know that's a really oh, odd way to frame it. Oh, I love the, that question. Right. The work that you do is such clearly to me, as I, I see the titles of your new book and the title of your life, like as I look at you do your work, it's very clear to me that you're trying to expose something that you've seen in your line of work. And so I would love to know what does this, what does all of these experiences show to you about humanity and what does it teach you? Um, I really was. And again, <laughs> a steady diet of Pantera and Slayer over a decade will do this to you, right? Yes. Um, I was a believer that most people were inherently selfish and greedy and out for their own. And 
when you look at something purely philosophically, when you read a lot of Nietzsche and you read a lot of old stuff and intellectually that makes sense. And then you look at some of the mass atrocities that have happened throughout history and you say, that's human nature. And uh, what I've come to believe is that's 100% false. And you show up night after night in the middle of the night. My phone, the, the, the deal I had with the police department in the last city I lived in, I had a deal with the police department and it, I would just get a text message on my phone and it would say 1087 and an address. It's just a home and the police code for there is a dead body. Mm-hmm. I, don't know if that, I don't know if it's a two-year-old or a 98-year-old. Occasionally, I would get some you know, a heads up like, hey, this is a 45-year-old woman who, but you show up. And you sit with people when their world is as they knew it is now over. Mm-hmm. Everything's in ash. And you are the first little tiny speck of light. Mm-hmm. And um, people are inherently good. And they show up. And it's given me a lot of compassion over the last two years, just the mess we've all been going through. Man, whether you're on this side of this uh, debate or that side of the debate, or you're angry about this, angry about that, I know enough about how brain science and trauma works to know that man, people are just scared. Mm -hmm. And when we know people are scared, we don't mind hugging them. Mm -hmm. Um, When we think people are being jerks, then we put our fists up. Mm -hmm. And so it has given me just time after time after again, when somebody's got their fists up, I'm going to lean in and I'll give you a hug, man. If you, if you hit me, I'm going to walk away, but I'm going to lean in with a hug, man, because I, and it's a metaphorical hug. I'm not a big hugger, but it's, man, people are just hurting. And when we're hurting, we don't make good decisions. We say things that we don't really mean or that we wish we could have back. And I'm going to, it's made me a lot more graceful. Mm. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. It, it's, it's, uh, and I know a lot more gentle, about, man. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Gentle. And you, you just don't fall off a log. Most people don't fall off a log and go, okay, I'm going to be gentle today right. and like super empathic and understanding. You have to cultivate that. Right. And I oh, want to talk a little bit. Oh, about dude, you, you got to practice it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I still love my MMA and I still love shooting my guns and going hunting. And I still love working out every morning. I love all those things, those <laughs> hard snap into a Slim Jim Jocko stuff. I love yeah. it. And it provides a context that makes me so gentle and way less likely to run my mouth when I don't know what I'm talking about and to be much more compassionate, right? Yeah. It works together. It doesn't feel like it would work together, but it absolutely does. It absolutely does for people who are aware because, you know, you got these like hyper masculine dudes are like, yeah, let's do this every day, <laughs> you know, and just like <laughs> so dumb, yeah. ridiculous kind of thing. And then the dudes who are like trying to balance that out and like walking that. And I have found, so yeah, I like super masculine stuff too. Like, okay, fighting guns, like your guts everywhere. It doesn't matter, right? I love like it, right? like a Guar concert. No, okay, so, yeah. Deer guts ah, everywhere. I love Guar. That's like, yeah, that's, that's the name of a record. Yeah, deer guts. It probably is, deer actually. Everywhere. But, um, okay, so let, let me tell you this uh, story. So when, so we were talking about hunting before we got on this call and stuff. And um, there was, so out here in Washington, obviously it rains a ton, right? And I usually go hunting alone. So anything I get, I got to drag back, you know, a mile, mile and a half, two miles just by myself. So I try to make sure that I'm in shape to do that. But this last time, I got, I got a couple deer this time, but my first deer, about a mile and a half from the truck, and it was pouring down rain. I'm not just talking about like a soggy kind of Seattle mist thing. It was dumping, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like, I, you talk about feeling alive. I was soaked to the bone. 
it was late October, so it was chilly, you know, carrying this deer on my shoulder, dragging it, falling down, you know, over logs and stuff. And I was like, this is living. <laughs> it was so amazing, right? Yeah. Just like living in that moment and then going, like not being hyper-masculine and having intention and being able to be soft. Like, oh, I can go from that to a literal, like, kind of fruity meditation with chill music that I recorded myself and like made. You meditate to yourself? Wow. Well, it's this, it's this cool attraction affirmation thing. And I put it over some, like, cool. a really cool track, you know, and it's just like, hey, this is what you want. This is what kind of man you are. Ah, okay. Got you. Got we you. are You're the future of technology and mental health all rolled into one. We <laughs> meditate love it, to man. ourselves. To yourselves. <laughs> course. And it's not, it's not to yourselves. It's just like this affirmation kind of thing. But going from that to that and feeling super good about it. It's like, man, that feels great. I'm connected right. to myself. I'm connected to God. I'm connected to my wife and kids and family. And it's, it's worth a hundred bucks, right? But I'm saying that because I want to talk about your book, right? And so let's just dive straight into it uh, because there's a lot of things that I do that you talk about in that book. And I want other people, I want people to go buy the book, go read the book and do this stuff because guess what? It is absolutely worth it. It will make mm. you a happier human, mm -hmm. a happier husband, a happier wife, a happier right. person you and more productive the, yeah, in all those areas. You can find that balance of hunting and deer guts and gentleness. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, chapter five, deer guts. Yeah. yeah, let's talk about that. <laughs> exactly right. That's our favorite chapter. Right. So tell us all about it. Well, I, well, I, I love that you say that. We've, we've um, really, the book's 10 years in the making. It's a response to this side of culture, which is saying you, what you feel is everything. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, quote unquote, your truth. It's your reality. And it is all that matters. And the world needs to bend and wave to how you feel moment by moment, hour by hour, week by week, year by year. And then the response, which I fully understand, and let's, like, this is madness. And then the equally mad has been the response of, you know, forget your feelings. None of that matters. That's stupid. You're an idiot. Just crush it, kill it, grind it, drag it out and like lift up the deer in the rain and be like, Ugh. Yeah. And what I'm trying to do is, is chart a third path, which I think most of us are on, which is, man, you got to own what you're feeling. You got to, if you skip over that stuff, your body will try to solve that for the rest of your life. Yes. And you end up lying to the people around you. You end up, you know, you've heard me say this, you end up on the couch four inches from each other, but you're 4,000 miles away from each other and you're both on each other's devices and whatever. You've got to own it. And then you have to say this magic word. Now what? Like, mm. What am I going to do now? And as I, I, you know, I was a dean of students before I got into the counseling stuff. And you're an actual therapist. I'm not an actual therapist. I just pretend to be one on the radio. <laughs> what, what I found in my work in higher ed especially was an increasingly tighter circle around this happened to you, whether it was some sort of ridiculous atrocity that happened to you as a kid. Big T traumas, little T traumas, systemic traumas, which they are all, they all exist. They're all super real. But it became this limiting, this is all you're ever going to be because mm -hmm. this happened to you. This is your identity. This is who you are. And so let us take care of you. Mm -hmm. And if we don't take care of you, then you're just going to be stuck. And so we, we shifted from this empowering language, which was beautiful, saying, hey, whoa, 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 this happened to you. You got to call it out. Somebody abused you. You're the wrong. People treat you 
evilly because of the way you look or the way, whatever, right? And it became this empowering. So since that's the case, you just sit there and hang tight and uh, we'll take care of you. And I increasingly was frustrated by saying, no, 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 you've got so much as, you know, like it's old rage against the machine. Like you got to take the power back. Mm -hmm. This happened. And now what? Now you can be. And so nobody has let this, let people go free, let people run. And that's the point of this book is to say, yes, this happened. So the first half of the book is calling out, here's, man, the world shifted underneath us and it's a train wreck. And here's what we can do about it on the other side. Yeah. Everything that you just said, I could talk about forever. Like, yeah, yeah. and and when you when you mentioned the rage lyric, you know, uh, take the power back. I, I thought about I forget what song. It's another rage song, but um, uh, it's a uh, uh, what better place than here? What better time than now? Right? Yes. Like actually go. Okay, this thing happened. This is the reality. Right? It's like okay, this is the reality. I I know it. Other people around me are saying it too. I have to do something about it. I have to own it. And I know we're on the Jocko train and extreme ownership and all that stuff. Yeah. But th- those like books and, and podcasts and stuff that we have just consumed rabidly or rabidly, is that a word? Ravenously? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a we ton, man. To, a I don't know. We drooled and then we ate them. We're just eating that up and going, oh man, okay. We, we did this in our own lives. And now we help other people to do it in, in their lives. And some people honestly, unfortunately go, no, I don't like what you're saying. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going back to, right. I'm like, That's okay, right. well, you know, Dr. Phil, well, how's that working out for you? Right. That's right. 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 Um, I had a conversation. Let's look around, brother. Let's look around. Right. What we're doing isn't working. Right. Like, can we just say that? Yeah. And let's start from there. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it is so hard it's for not people, working. Yeah. It's so hard for people to hear that. I mean, it's like, no, it is, it is, it is. Yeah. It's like the it's most expensive thing that you can, that people can, as we do that in coaching, people are like, oh, there's like a, a audible guffaw that you, <laughs> it's not, oh, right? So talking about the difference between therapy and like mental health and then coaching, like in coaching, we take an ultra empathic approach oh, yeah. and then like kick people's ass. Right. There you go. That's right. Awesome. That's right. That's the, that's why I love being a mental health guy on a radio show. I can say all the things that therapists are thinking, but don't say, right. right. Of, right. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, you can actually say it out loud. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah. I think that's, I mean, I think in many ways, that's why coaching, um, is crushing mental health care right now mm-hmm. because there's so much, so many barriers to, uh, becoming a therapist. And some of those boundaries are really important and we need them, mm-hmm. but also coaches can say, Hey, stop. <laughs> Take a week off of the weed or yeah. stop talking to your wife like that. Quit right. instead of, well, how does that make you feel? You know what I mean? Um, yeah, you can actually say stop. And yeah. I think I think we often need to hear that. Mm-hmm. I yeah. sure do. Two of the most growth moments in my life oh, is yeah. when a pastor slash therapist looked at me straight in the eye and he was an older dude. And this is when we were going through a hard time. And he was just like, like gave me a scowl and said, what are you doing? What are you? Yeah, like, and I felt like uh, that small, and that's exactly what I needed. And then uh, another time when we got uh, when we hired a coach, he did the same thing. He's like, "Bro, both times what that felt is great, this? Because I was thinking, <laughs> yeah, I'm felt, doing it felt right. great to her because she's like, finally. yeah, finally, he's 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 got it.' But like as a guy, and women need this too, right? We right, all need that person, sure. hired or not hired, someone we respect, we trust, and we will listen to to be like. What are you doing, man? Mm-hmm. This this isn't working. Cut that crap right. out, right? I want to so, make a comment on your book, though, really quickly. So, hold um, on. First of all, no, the, the name can't. of the book. 
own your past, change your future. Oh, there you go. I love. Thank you. I love it. We all do. We all love it. We all do, which we'll dive in. But what were you going to say? Well, so one of the things I think is amazing, and I cannot remember what book I recently heard this in, but you were talking a minute ago about how people, first of all, we're all kind of like lying to ourselves just a little bit to make it feel like, every, no, everything's okay. Everything's fine, right? It's like that meme with the guy sitting in the fire. I'm fine, right? Right. Um, but the what I love about this is that you're owning your past and you're changing your future, which it implies a choice of growth. And it's very clear, like you need to do something about it. There's an action. And I read something where they were talking about how the old model of therapy was always like you were saying, what's the problem? It was problem-based. I was abused. I was this. I was whatever. And people would focus on the trauma, the problem forever. Literally never, like a therapist would not be like, oh, well, what's the solution now? And they mm -hmm. discovered that um, focusing on health, wellness, well-being, being centered, being balanced, healing, doy was what made people change. And it's silly as that sounds, as like, duh, as that sounds, people don't understand that. And so I love that you're, you're saying, like, I don't know, it's like all implied well, in the title. I'm excited about yeah, it. Yeah. Let's, so let's, let's dive into the, the five steps here. We have some notes. Um, and uh, in the first, so let's call this out first. I hate with all of my guts. Uh, and I hope you guys don't have this. <laughs> um, I hate when people are like, change your life in four easy steps or right. the five things to, that gives me like, Makes me want to vomit because life is too complex. It's hard. Right. Um, I've seen that work in like two or three areas. One of them, which is Dave's right here. Like here, if you want to get out of debt, here's follow this. It works every time. Like there's so rare that those things work. But what ended up happening was I ended up, if I just like reverse engineered all the conversations I have with people on a daily basis, these five things work like an infinity loop. And you end up on one of these at some point all of the time and they never stop happening. So these things are like a, like a cycle. They're going to keep happening and keep happening and keep happening. And they really, it was at the end of the book that the, the woman who's editing this for me calls and says, you realize you just created a path here. Mm. I was like, Nope, just trying to help people <laughs> have a little bit better day. And um, so we actually added this at the end and looped back around as these things kind of laid themselves out in front of us. It was pretty neat. Yeah. That's amazing. Tell us what are the five things. Well, Tell well, us about well, them. Hold on. First of all, yeah, I, I agree I with what you're I agree with what you're saying. There is no, hey, you know, like lose a thousand pounds and get ripped as heck in six days kind of thing. I mean, <laughs> there are, but those yeah, yeah. are just people to take your money and then, you know, go right. away and retire kind of thing. And we all want a quick fix like that, right? We all we all yeah. want that. Oh, can I get ripped in six days or can I You know what else we want? We want a forever fix. Yes. Mm. And there is no day that I can spend in the gym that's going to be so great that I never have to work out again. It's mm -hmm. not real. There's no great night of sex with my wife that we never have to sleep together. Like that, that was it. Like we're good for, you know what I mean? That doesn't <laughs> yeah. exist. And we want there to be this Super Bowl moment for ourselves that it's all over. And it's not, you got to get up the next day and do it again. Then yeah. you got to do it again. And so it's, yeah, we all want this quick fix, but we want a forever fix too. And it, it just doesn't exist. Is that it how you pitched exist. it to your wife? Look, we can't. <laughs> you got to get up the next day and do it again. You gotta Dude, do she's again. like the matrix. She's just like, boom, and it just, yeah. <laughs> just goes right past her. <laughs> just, she, yeah. That's hilarious. Can't, can't I love it. But uh, yeah, I super agree with what you're saying. So you you have um, like five steps repeated yeah. over and over. And it, it, is, it is a cycle. It's like seasons, right? There's not just like a forever summer. There's always a variance right. in, yes. in weather, in, in temperature and stuff. And that has a purpose 
that helps perpetuate life and just the whole thing Can forward. I say something about that? Life is seasons. Like the trees grow even in the winter. They're dormant, right. but they're still growing. And I hate in what people- They're still alive. They're yeah. still alive. And it's, yes. I don't know. I have lots of feelings about that because life is cyclical. All things. Well, when, when, we, when we have winter, we don't say that summer's broken. Right. And so when we have days that we don't feel like going to the gym, it's not because sometimes it is, but often it's not because we're losers or we are pathetic. Right. It's because our body's saying, hey, I need a break. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you can get in tune with yourself, awesome. And there's days I don't feel like going to the gym and that's because I need, I need to go. Right. I need yeah. to go. That was this morning. I woke up. I just got back from a flight late last night. I didn't want to go. I needed to get up. Right. Because yeah. if I didn't, it was going to be donut time. And then the next two, then, yeah, you know how that goes. But okay, so the first thing is important. We are born into stories. And so there's stories that we are born into. And these are the ones that our church told us about what you're worth and what women are worth. These are ones like this is what this is what a quote unquote normal relationship looks like. This is quote unquote what love looks like. Um, we're born into these stories and their cultural stories and their family stories. And then there were the stories that we were told. And these this is when your third grade teacher said this one thing or that boyfriend of yours looked at you and said, you're not pretty, whatever the, the stories we were told. And unfortunately, those stories that we were born into and the stories we were told become the stories we tell ourselves. And those become insidious because if you look at <laughs> the psychological research, which is hilarious, we all think we're pretty smart. At the end of the day, even if we hate ourselves, we think I'm better driver than most of y'all, right? Or I'm better at, we all think we're pretty smart. And when we tell ourselves these stories and they just sit on a loop over and over and over, he's the problem. They're the problem. We don't like them because they're different. They love like this. And so they're, whatever the thing is, it loops and loops. And we start to believe ourselves and more insidiously. And you, we've talked about this offline. Our bodies respond to those stories. They spin up every time. There's a threat. There's a threat. There's a threat. And so we may be moving on, but our body drops a pin in that one and says, they're dangerous, they're dangerous, they're dangerous. And we only have one danger response system, man. And the analogy I use in the book is if you have a clog in your sink and you dump Drano in it once every three or four years, it'll burn that clog out and you can move on. If you just wake up every day and dump Drano in your sink, in short order, it will eat through your pipes and you'll have a mess on your hand. Mm-hmm. Man, the way we live, we don't acknowledge and these stories. We don't own these stories that we've been told that we're just living over and over and over. And our bodies are fighting and fleeing and fighting and fleeing all day. And man, and then you can just look at the arc of the ACEs literature. Seth, you and I have talked about this. Yeah. And we just get strokes and cancer and heart disease and addiction. And you just die. Right. And at some point, number one, you've got to own these stories. This is what somebody told me. This is what limiting things I'm thinking of. Um, and then the second thing is, is you've got to acknowledge reality. So that's the, the CBT part of this. You got to look at this story and say, is this true? I got to demand evidence from this thing. Am I really too fat to be loved? Am I really a bad lover and I'm unredeemable, right? Am I really, you have to take ownership. Like I'm healthy, I'm healthy. It's a story I tell myself, kind of look in the mirror without a shirt on and be like, are we healthy? Like, right. And I did that the other day. Not doing great, not doing great. So like, I have to acknowledge reality. And then this is, this is important to me. You have to have a season of grieving and forgiveness. And this isn't one of the steps. This is just an is. And grief is simply one. It's one little thing. It's the gap between what we hoped for and what we thought was going to happen and what actually happened. 
Mm. And it could be as small as I want to go eat burgers tonight. And my wife's like, nope, we're eating Mexican food. I just got to say that out loud or I got to have it in my head. I want to go eat burgers tonight. Mm-hmm. But I like Mexican food. And now my body will go, all right, cool. We're back in control. Otherwise, it will just stew and stew and stew. Mm-hmm. I'll be a little bit shorter with my son. I'll be a little bit, turn my body a little bit away from my wife. Mm-hmm. And now I'm doing this, right? I'm creating this. Or grief can be, man, I really wanted that job. I really thought we were going to stay together forever. I didn't think he was going to die. And you got to own that crap. And we have a culture that just wants to blow by all that stupid so, mm-hmm. um, and then you got to get connected and then you got to do the hard, that's when you get into the Jocko work, right? You got to change your thoughts. You got to change your actions. You got to go do stuff and you right. got to think new things, right? So, so that's it over and over and over for the rest of our lives. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's seasonal. And I want to maybe camp out on, on some of those and um, maybe all of them because they're so good. I mean, I know, that's so many listeners can hear just one of those and go, wait, I haven't done that. And maybe that's mm. why. I, I, I feel like she doesn't love me or why, you know, I have a bad relationship with my kid or why I hate my job because I never spoke my truth and like went out there and you, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, absolutely. hopefully someone will hear one of these things and go, I'm doing this right now. I'm taking ownership and going to do it right now. So owning your stories, the acknowledge reality is the, is the biggest part. And mm-hmm. I think so many couples, because obviously it's a marriage show, so many couples go, oh man, um, I'm, I'm not happy and, and it, it's your fault or we're just That's living it. our lives. Yeah. Like you say, like, you know, we're four inches apart on the couch, but 4,000 miles away, we have to actually go, this, this is, this is the landscape. It's like looking at your bank account thinking there's, you know, nine grand in there. Oh yeah. We got plenty of money. <laughs> go, go to Nordstrom's, go shopping, you know, but you go, Oh, wait a minute. That's $9. There's yeah. not even, not as many zeros. So like actually acknowledge reality. No. We aren't going to rack up the credit card. We can't do that anymore. I got to go put some pants on and get a job, you know, a second or third job or something like that. We have to take ownership of where we are. And that's if we've had a lot of coaching couples and a lot of listeners do that and go, yeah, our emails like, hey, my marriage is the worst. I just realized that yesterday. What the heck do I do? Mm-hmm. Kind of thing. Right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I want them to like grab the book and like do this. And so, the, the next step after acknowledge your reality, like lay, put some, shake some truth on it. I talk yeah. about, you know, like a salt shaker, shake some yeah. truth on this whole thing. You know, you got to shake truth on it. You can't live out that lie because you're going to get more of what you don't want. That's and right. that doesn't work, right? And here's the thing. Most people run from that moment, myself included. Right. You recognize. So here's a good example. I, you know, I work here, like I take a thousand pictures a month with people. And I noticed when they would post them on the internets, and I still, I'm still trying to figure out how that stuff works. I smile like this. I don't show any teeth in my smile. Hmm. And I thought to myself, why don't I, did you know when I was 16 years old, I was dating a girl who was, a, I'm just, she was incredible. I had a major crush on her. She was a super knockout. She was so kind. And one day we were walking along doing something and She said, you would be so cute if your teeth weren't so yellow and wonky. Mm. And fast forward, I take pictures for a living now. And that story is still cycling it through me that if you smile, everyone will go, ugh. Mm. And here's the reality. It's not true. Mm -hmm. I got to acknowledge that. And this is where it gets hard. Now I've got to go about forcing myself. I've got to practice smiling 
as though I'm having, I'm in, I'm enjoying other people's company instead right. of like, you know, I'm, I'm getting, I'm at a proctology exam, right? I've got to act like I'm enjoying this and um, I got to practice that it means I'm going to be uncomfortable for a while mm-hmm. and it's hard and I don't like it, especially when I'm tired, especially when I'm grumpy, especially when I only have $9 in my checking account. It's so easy just to roll back to, yeah, they're all looking at this anyway, screw them. And right. it's hard to keep your eye on that ball. So where does the growth happen? In your experience, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, where, emotional, where does the growth happen? It's, it, there is no growth. There is no life change. And I got to say this, like, be real clear about this. I am a lifelong Texan through and through. Like, we made up the myth, right? We made it up. <laughs> there is no growth. There is no sustainable life change in isolation. And so after you acknowledge this reality, oh my gosh, I got to change the way I eat. I got to change the way I talk to my wife. I've got to start leaning and practicing sensuality and desire again, because I got all about raising kids and following lists and routines. And I forgot my sexualized self. I got to start practicing that. Mm -hmm. You cannot make those changes alone. You've got to get connected to a gang, a a group. That's why what y'all are doing is so magic creating coaching opportunities for people to plug into and say, I need someone to walk alongside me and we don't know how to be friends. There's a whole big chunk of this book on how to be friends. That's yeah. a section. And I even laugh, like this is ridiculous that I'm writing this and this is where we all are. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to have friends anymore. I don't know how to make friends anymore. I don't know how to say something stupid and then ask for forgiveness. I don't, we don't know how to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. So we just scroll and thumb it. Right. And you cannot do anything without getting connected. So you can get the right workout program. You can get the right meditation app. If you don't have people that are, you're checking in with that are walking alongside you, whether you love them, they're your best friends, they're a coaching, they're a therapist, whatever, it's not going to stick. It's just not. Right. I, I love that because there are so many opportunities. It's like, it is ridiculous that you had to write a chapter. You know, it's like a, a manual, like how to be normal. How to be normal. Right. Oh, well, I forgot because I've been on my phone <laughs> for the last 10 years, you know? But it, hey, but here, it's, it's where we're at. It's where we're at. Well, yeah. When I was, when I was, uh, I was, when I was working at a law school, um, I would come home and my wife, she's was a star researcher. She's a professor. She taught teachers. So she taught teachers how to teach kids how to read. Mm. Um, but she was a pedagogy expert. And I would come home and whine and complain. These students can't even do this and this. And finally, one day she said, here's the thing. Quit. Quit your job or start teaching them the skills that they don't have. Mm. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm a teacher. That's my job, right? And so I can whine and complain that we don't know how to make friends anymore, or we can just start having honest conversations about here's how to have friends when you're 40 or when you're 32. Mm -hmm. Here's how to be friends with your spouse and how to go have other friends too, right? Mm -hmm. My dad used to say something when I was growing up, and now I'm like, wow, that was like knockout wisdom. That was great. And he always said to, to, uh, have a friend to make friends. You got to be a friend. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's so simple. It's like okay, if you want friends, be be worth being friends to. Like reach out to people, text your go buddy. first, go yeah. first, right? right? I mean, people at your Brown. house. Yeah, yeah. Lead, lead lead with vulnerability. Like okay, do this. And sometimes I promise you, I think that we need new friends because we, me and Melanie, are always like reaching out, checking in on people and doing this and doing this. I'm like, are we weird? We're thought leaders. Not weird. <laughs> I know that's, that's just being silly. But that, to, to your point, getting connected, right? Yeah. And there are 8 million ways to get connected. You can do yeah. Toastmaster. You can go to church. You can not go to church. You can do this. You can like, 
have actual real live meetups with friends that you made on Facebook that all you know them from is a Zoom call. You go, hey, hmm, we've been chilling for like two years through the pandemic. Stuff's cool now. Let's meet up in Dallas. Let's do this thing or whatever. Like we just I think Dallas was through the pandemic before it even started. I don't know if it was ever real in Dallas. (laughs) That's a whole other conversation. (laughs) They need they need your second point, uh, acknowledge reality, right? Right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. I know you're from Texas. I I love Texas. Hey, hey, man, truth hurts. I'm acknowledging the reality. Right. I'm owning uh, owning the stories. So so um we have done this. We've put ourselves out there. Like I, I did Toastmasters a long time ago because I was scared of public speaking, right? I was like, okay, let's do this and make friends there and join different mastermind groups. And we kicked off our own mastermind groups um this year. In fact, badasshusband.com. That's a plug. <laughs> right. And what it is, it's a it's a group because we are the we are the five, we're the sum of the five people we hang out with the most, right? Mm. So for you, and I know that people you hang out with, and for us, we want to hang out with people who are up here who have done stuff, who have wisdom, who have experiences, and want to talk about it because that will I can learn and plus we can give back to. But the fact of getting connected, what if somebody's listening to this for the first time and going, Man, that is me to the T all over the place. I've been that way for the last five years. All I know is people on Instagram. And who knows if those are those real names? What do I do? Where can I start? What do I do? How the heck do I do this? Because I'm scared to death. It's an awesome question. So uh, yesterday I was in Atlanta um, speaking at an event and somebody came up afterwards and said, I'm lonely and I don't know what to do next. And I, I said, can I be honest with you? And she said, yeah. And I said, I can tell by the way you just asked that question. You don't like you. Mm. And then we had a human moment. And I thought, oh, no, we may not be able to come. You know, we had a real human moment there. Yeah. Um, it started, it's two, two easy things, man. <laughs> no, I, I just made that up. Two simple things that are incredibly hard. They're yeah, they're not easy. And hard. <laughs> um, one is you have to look in the mirror and say, I'm worthy of relationships. I'm worthy of being loved. I'm worthy of being connected to. And I don't care if you're a Navy SEAL. I don't care if you are a like a Wyoming cowboy, or if you're a single mom with three kids and you don't even know what day it is, you're so exhausted from all the work you're doing. You're worthy of having people in your life. And if you don't think that you're never going to do the next step, which is you just got to risk. Esther Perel says like all relationship is a risk. A hundred percent of them. You've been married for 40 years and you say, Hey, your gas is killing me now. I don't know what has happened to your body, but it's a risk because you don't know what's going to come back the other way. Or if you just met somebody and you're meeting for the first time in person, it's all a risk and you're worth the risk. And so I tell people, go first. And listen, we take, the, we take stuff. I, I might invite you guys over to my house and y'all are like, hey, we can't make it. 99.9% of the time, that's about y'all, not me. Mm-hmm. And if it is about me, then I'm going to have a group of people. It's like, hey, I keep inviting people out and they don't want to be around me. And they'd be like, well, yeah, dude, because you're weird or your house is disgusting or you always want to have weird sex talk games that you're like, whatever's <laughs> happening, like you're not fun to be around. Yeah. And um, I've had a few hard conversations. My friends have told me that in the past. And the, so I am going to assume if y'all can't make it, that's, that's a decision y'all are making. I'm not going to take it personal and then I'm going to go risk again and I'm going to go risk again and I'm going to go risk again. I'm going to keep getting back up, keep getting back up. And eventually... You're going to have your gang, whether it's one person or three people or four people, and you're going to be your own little weird tribe. And that's awesome. And you're going to move along together. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. And it makes me think of this idea. We do this in coaching a lot. 
where I say to people, if I could snap my fingers and you could have the life that you want, whether that's I'm healed from my trauma or I have all these new friends or I finally learned how to sail a ship or whatever it is that they're trying to do. Sail a ship? Like Some people want to sail. <laughs> don't, don't you dare. You're talking to Captain. Sail away, sail away, sail away. Yeah. Uh, but it's this <laughs> idea that like, if you could snap your fingers and, and p- plop yourself into that world that you want to, to have happen for you, and then all you got to do is work backwards and go. It's oh, reverse engineered. That's exactly right. right. If right. I want to hey, sail hey, a ship, I need to go to sailing school. You mm-hmm. mentioned something important when it comes to do. trauma. Um, trauma. Um, we've developed this really bizarre thing the last 15 or 20 years. And I say that because I've only been in this 15 or 20 years, so it may have been happening for eternity. But we've got into this bizarre reverse trauma comparison game where, hey, I, COVID happened and I lost my job, which we know the psychology, the reason the literature tells us that that's as devastating as losing a partner, Mm -hmm. right? Is job loss. To our biochemists, our biochemistry knows we are in danger. We're going to starve to death, right? It's it, it's a cascade, and we go, yeah, but let's wallpaper over it because because Susan's husband's sick, and then you talk to Susan and she's like, yeah, he's really sick, two weeks, and we didn't think he was going to make it, but he didn't go to the hospital, right? And we have this compression of our trauma, like we're afraid to own it. Like there's a sum zero game on pain. There's only so much pain that can be doled out at one time. And I don't want to take any of theirs. We got to stop. You have to acknowledge your trauma and you got to call it out. And if you wreck your Pinto and that's the only way you have to get to work and now you're not able to work, it's heartbreaking. You got to grieve that. And if you wreck your Lexus, you grieve it too, man. You're not helping anybody by not owning that too. And so I don't care how small your traumas are, how big they are, how catastrophic they are, how they added up over time. They were little, but they just kept adding up on you and adding up on you. You got to own all of it. And judging trauma, comparing trauma is a fool's errand, man. Don't do that. Just own I, yeah. your reality. I love yeah. that. And I'm going to sort of share a little thing that's, or a big thing that's going on in our life currently. This December, my brother died. And it was a huge, oh, I'm was so a sorry, huge, Melanie. thank you. It was a huge, you know, surprise for everybody. It was a completely shocking event. And, oh. um, and in that journey, it's been really hard because, you know, my watching my mother lose her oldest son, right? So I'm walking through this journey with my family in a totally different way. And we actually ended up like doing his um, service. Like we ran it all and booked everything and because we could show up for that. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I've been challenging myself to do in this very particular season is how can I show up differently for people's grief? Mm -hmm. Because grief Mm -hmm. is so hard and people don't know how to grieve well. Most Ah. of us, like you're saying, just Just shove it down, just get past it, wallpaper over it. At least it wasn't this, or at least we got that. Or, you know, you try to like pat it. And it doesn't work. And as you were saying that, I kept thinking, and I've said this in the past, but it has sort of like come to light even more in this particular season that I feel like, and I'm going to say God, but insert whatever thing you think of, but it's like God gives you a certain amount of tears for a cert- for whatever trauma you're in or whatever thing you're walking through. And if you don't cry them and you don't get it out, they're just still there. It's almost like you're damning something mm-hmm. and you're like trying to hold up this ocean of water it's still there. Like the body keeps the score, right? Gabor Mate. Yerba Mate. That's a, that's a, uh, that's a Vanderkolk. Yeah. 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 Um, but it's that idea that like, 
you're not doing yourself any favors by holding this wall of water back and slowly trickling it out over time. Mm -hmm. Release that. Again, whether it's you've crashed your Lexus or your Pinto, it doesn't matter the scale or the size or whatever. Right. It's it's lives within you regardless. And so, That's right. um, it, and it, it really does show me though, like I was saying, that people really don't know how to grieve. They don't know what to grieve sometimes. Like you can grieve a death. Like we go, oh, that... That one's acceptable. But can you grieve the fact that you thought your spouse was one way and they aren't that way? And even if you stay married and you're like, oh, you know, I'm going to work through this, but that's a loss. I thought maybe it's like, I thought my spouse loved adventure and we thought we were going to travel the world. And then she ended up getting cancer and got her leg amputated and she's whatever. That's grief. Grieve that. Grieve it. And if you don't, you're walking around with this gigantic reservoir of water. Reservoir? Yeah. 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 And it's pushing against you on all sides. And you're just barely... I mean, I remember trying to hold back tears at some thing years ago when my my friend died. And that was when I realized, I can't do this. I actually can't live this way. So what if I just let myself grieve and be kind to myself in any form of grief that is, you know, showing up? Mm -hmm. And it goes so much... And I would say this kindly, it goes so much faster I don't mean that in an unkind way or like a grief should be quick. Well, no, you, right, you, right. you, process, you process through it. it and yeah. it's like, okay, it's a, de- it's a, it's a journey, right. right? And I can either stop a thousand mm-hmm. times and you know, each, each stop is like mm-hmm. one year long and no, I'm never end up there. Or like, okay, I'm going to take this slow. I'm going to go. I'm going to keep on mm-hmm. going um, and process and, yeah. that grief. But Hold on one more thing. The grief that's in that big thing, mm-hmm. the cistern of water or whatever, it stagnates. You Ooh, need to let yeah. it go through you. Yeah, like right. let it right. flow, you know? So I... Man, I, there's a chapter called grief in the book. I think mm-hmm. it's called good grief. And it's about, it's how important that is. And there's actually a section on our relationship with death. Mm-hmm. And even as early as the, the night as the 1920s, I have to go back and look at the exact day, but 1920s churches and homes, we had a room in our house called the parlor. Right. Right. And is it the ladies home journal? One of these journals just said, it's no longer the parlor. It's now the living room. Mm-hmm. And we all have living rooms now. We are no, and we used to sit up with the dead. We didn't have, we didn't, we couldn't outsource it. Right. Right. And we didn't, now we don't kill our food. We don't, we get three days off and you get to get back to work. And if you're an hourly worker, well, your grief costs you something, right? I mean, we don't have any sort of cultural ecosystem or support for grief or passing over. And man, I, I think it's a critical moment. I talked to a dad on the radio the other day. And of all the guts and brains and wild stuff, this is the call that has haunted me. Mm. He's an engineer making six figures in Houston, got several kids, and he has a special needs kid. And he's, and he's walking through how much it hurt, how much it hurt. And he finally just said, can I just tell you, I wish I could just get cancer so this thing can be done. Mm. And I said, you got to tell your wife. And he said, I can't burden her with all of this. Mm. And Melanie, what you said is so beautiful. We have to understand that the energy we're using to hold that cistern back is also wearing out everybody around us. It's electrifying our kids. It's melting our marriages. And so we think we're doing a service to those around us by holding all that crap in. We're drowning them in that cistern. Right. Right. And so even if you get have those dark moments where I don't think I'm worth dealing with this stuff, the people around you are. Right. Mm-hmm. And man, we've got to grieve. We've got to deal with that hard stuff. And it ends up being a great gift when you can tell somebody, hey, I need you to walk alongside me. Right. 
Yeah. And I'm going to say one more point on that is that um, often I find that if I keep just ruminating and thinking about something and rolling it around in my head, it never goes away, right? It's not like going to go, oh, I thought about it eight times. I'm done, right? Mm -hmm. It just comes back and comes back. So if you are in a process of grieving or thinking you need to grieve, maybe you've not done it well, write this stuff out, journal it, yeah. get it out yeah. of your head. When it's, there's a magic thing that can happen when you just get the mm. thoughts into sentences. Like you're saying that guy on the call saying, I just wish I could get cancer. So yeah. it would all be done. Get that on a page. You don't need to yeah. show it to anybody. Get it out of, get you, out yeah. of your head. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so Have you all heard of the David Kessler's purple elephant? We I talked about that. I don't know. I don't so know. Kessler wrote the greatest book on grief ever. It's called finding meaning. Uh, I think everybody should read it. But he's got a great exercise when he was working with parents who had lost a kid and they cannot get that last, their kid in the hospital. They can't get that kid in the casket. They can't get that picture out of their head. And he comes to them and says, all right, I want everybody in this room to close your eyes and think of a purple elephant. And it's like a yellow hat on the purple, whatever. And they all do it. And he says, open your eyes. You just proved it to yourselves that you can control your thoughts. Mm -hmm. You can't control the lightning bolts, but the moment that lightning bolt comes in, you have a choice. Am I going to meditate on this thing and let it take me down? Or am I going to replace it with another thought? And so if you had a spouse that cheated on you and y'all have reconciled and you're back in it, there will come a moment when you're just mowing the lawn and all of a sudden that picture snaps into your head. And that's the moment you have to choose right there. And if you will choose and practice over time or that picture, you, know, you will think of something with your brother and your whole body goes, whoosh, we're back in this. And that's that moment. I'm going to remember a time that we were laughing so hard, milk came out our nose and we couldn't breathe. Right? I'm going to remember that. I'm going to choose that memory and I'm going to focus and meditate on that memory. And over time, your body will, self, will begin to self-correct and it will pull those memories out because those are the ones that, right, that we focus on. And we have to continue to practice controlling our thoughts, but it can, can, can be done. Right. Yeah. I love that. And That's I think awesome. saying some of it out loud is really helpful. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, grief demands like, a witness. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Like if, yeah, yeah. you know, if someone's walking through an affair or whatever, like you have that, that, oh my gosh, I'm mowing the lawn and I remember this thing. Say to yourself, you know, that doesn't serve me. That's not helpful. Be your own. Not helpful. Talk back to your thoughts, you know? Yeah. Um, but this is amazing. I could talk. I mean, no, was that it's really great. an invite to your house? We'll be there later. <laughs> Dude, I would love for y'all to come over. Stuff. Hey, let, oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. Listen. So I read a remarkable book. I was literally, I wish I, I was mowing the lawn. It's Seth, you inspired me. I got me a riding lawnmower. It's incredible. Oh, I was riding, I was mowing and I was listening to a book and it was just, I thought it was just a flyby book. And it's, uh, it's short. It's called Chatter by Ethan Cross. Have y'all heard of this? Uh -uh. I, I've heard of it. I haven't read it. So here's one of the things that's phenomenal. He studies the voice in our head that just loops over and over again. Mm. And here's a trick he passed along in that book. And it's one that again, I'm jaded and grizzled at this point. And I rolled my eyes and I started practicing and I was like, no way. I hate it when researchers are right, which is awful. Right. Here's what he said. He said, we have different pathways in our head for I and me and we, mm. Those, that's our fight or flight circuit. Mm -hmm. And we have a different pathway for they and them. It's why I have a show where people all over the world will call me and ask me questions about their relationships. And then I'll go home and talk to my wife and be like, I don't know what to say to you, right? But if you call me and tell me, ask me about your marriage, I'm great because right. my marriage sets off my fight or flight, which we all know shuts off critical thinking. And now I'm just on defense. Mm -hmm. And so a quick hack was, and I hate the word hack. So I'm going to take that back, edit that out. I hate the word hack. A quick thing that you can do, a tool is to say 
John, that is not helping us. Mm. And when I talked to John in the third person, this is a, from a neurological researcher. When I talk to John in the third person, or I ask, hey, John, is this thought helping us? Is this helping my marriage? Mm-hmm. You will go, no, not helping at all. Right. And, but if I say, I get, so, I get so pissed off. I remember that picture. I remember her with him. And I start, dude, now my body's off to the races. Man. Yes. And then she walks out with iced tea. Like, hey, you want something to drink? And I'm like, why don't you take that iced tea? Right? Not <laughs> helping anything. And, but if I will talk to myself in the third person, if I will journal to myself in the third person, even he brought up, that's why, and I never thought, I always rolled my eyes when athletes would say, you know, me and my family were doing this. But on the court, LeBron's got to do what LeBron's got to do. And I used to think, oh my gosh, what a, you're talking about yourself in the third person? Mm-hmm. Sports psychologists know you have to be somebody different on that court than you are in your living room because right. the, the, that person will crush your family. And so you end up saying, no, I'm going to distance myself from that guy. I'm going to be that guy over there. So anyway, that thought was, I just want to pass it along. It was revolutionary oh, no, for great. me. So yeah. uh, all the episodes of Seinfeld are on Netflix know, now, by the way. Say. And we yes. just watched that episode. I don't know if you watch Seinfeld, but there's this one episode where these, the, uh, Jerry and George are in the gym and they're playing basketball with this guy named Jimmy. Yeah, and he only <laughs> talks to him. He's like, Jimmy's going Jimmy's gonna to score. Jimmy's so That's bad. right. That's right. right. You know, I love it, dude. Like, oh, and they start <laughs> hating him and stuff like that. But I love that. And the power of our brain. This is what got me literally into psychology in the 10th grade in the first place. And my career as a psychotherapist. We have, we have the power, like in my brain, they're like different, not personalities because it's not like, you know, pathological personality disorder or anything like that. But the fact that we can talk to ourselves like, right. hey, Seth, you got this. Seth, you're going to do good on that. Seth, you are worth it, all this stuff. And we are going to do it. It's like uh, separate compartmentalizations that I just find so fascinating because I'm not talking to anybody else except myself. But is it me talking to me or is it the other me talking to me? And it's just tripping. Which me is talking to me. I know. And it's so powerful. So I love it. And (laughs) so I want to be respectful of your time. We didn't, well, we kind of got to like points four and five, change your thoughts, change your actions. It doesn't matter. Just go get his book. And the fact that you're doing an audio book, I could not be happier. I don't like to read anything. I don't, I'm not good at it. But you watching you narrate that, oh, I was so excited. I can't wait. Oh, yeah. they, they were, t- I didn't realize how many videos they were taking on me. They said it was hilarious. I can't talk without my hands. I can't either. I, that was actually oh, yeah. the first thing I was like, he does it too. No, like, I can't help I narrate it. things, I'm like, hmm. It's the mind body connection. I love right? it. I love so, it. So, uh, John, tell uh, people where they can pre order the book and where to find all your stuff and where you want them to go. So, cool thing um, during pre order, BetterHelp stepped up in a way that's unbelievable. And they're giving away a free month of counseling to anybody who pre-orders this book. And so I I couldn't believe they came through with that. But um, if you read it and you think, I need to talk to somebody, I I was nervous to leave. I was apprehensive about leaving somebody with what I do now. And now they said, we'll step up and give you a phone number to call. So that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a bunch of the audio book, all that stuff comes with it. You can pre-order it. You can go to johndeloney.com and it'll be there to pre-order. Or you can find me on the interwebs on Instagram and stuff. You can pre-order from there too. Awesome. 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 Well, one, 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 one question I usually ask all of our guests. I know I asked you last time you're on, but what is one thing that's just bringing you super jazz right now? I don't care what it is. And you can't say the book because I know we, we know it's the book. <laughs> dude, I know you're excited. Dude, no, man. I, I, <laughs> you're probably done with that. You're like, I don't want to see it again ever. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is a painful process too. I used to look at people because I wrote in academics all the time. That, I mean, when you're in a, a nerd that you're a professional writer, which you are. Mm-hmm. And I used to write all the time. Man, why, why is there such drama? Write a book. It's not that hard. Dude, it's, it's harder than I thought, man. Wow. Yeah. Um, I really feel like I told a great story and then you get a 
a couple of editors and they're like, you're kind of an idiot. We don't know what you're talking about. You need to say, say it again. Say it clearer. Say it clearer. Right. Um, what's something I'm really jazzed about right now? Um, like this is me being honest. So I writing this book, I went through some stuff back through some stories that I had not dealt with in a long, long time. And there were seasons when I would be writing and I was, y'all, I was raged. Mm. I was angry. My wife, like, what is wrong with you? And I was revisiting some stories that in my life that I thought I'd healed from. I hadn't, man. I just passed over them. Mm. And so something that's got me jazzed right now is it's really a season of reclamation for me. And it's easy to walk the, you know, to get on a podcast or get on a radio show and talk to people about how they should be living their lives. But man, you got to take your own advice and you got to live all of it. And so I've going back and healing from some of this stuff, just learning to walk lighter again, um, weights falling off my body. I'm, I'm laughing a lot more. And so that's really got me jazzed up. And in, in a lot of that comes from, man, this stuff doesn't matter. My kids matter. My having a good marriage matters. My friends right. matter. And so plugging back into some of those things makes this stuff better. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's really got me fired up right now. And dude, I got my, once the book was over, I got my guitar back out and plugged in. And nice. now it's back to metal time and it's going to be good. Nice. Uh, and with the biggest amp ever, the amp that yeah. touches your ceiling. I have a really low self-esteem amp. That's for sure. <laughs> Definitely compensating amp. It's awesome. In, it's in our studio, I have my uh, old set of DW drums just like right there, ready to go anytime. So sometimes I just, just come out here. But you never know when, when like, yes, when Lars is going to twist an ankle and they're going to call you and be like, Seth, we need you. You're like, oh, I got you. That's funny. I got oh, you. That's that's fun, man. Uh, I used to have stress dreams about that. After, right. Really, after I quit the band, I was like, "Oh man, what's I right. can't do that." But John, thank you so much, my man. Um, I'm grateful for y'all too. Thank you for putting good stuff out in the world. Absolutely, yeah, it's awesome. been a pleasure. Everybody you guys go, go get his book. Go get the book. Go check out his stuff and uh, and call you two guys for coaching. Yes, that's right. yes, that's right. <laughs> All right, my man. Thank you. So Love much. it. Thanks, bud. Love you guys. Right. See ya, man. Guys, for real, how did you like that conversation? Did you like it? Yes, it's the best. He's the best. Yeah, he's pretty chill. He's a Southern dude, just like me. And it's always fun to talk to other Southern guys who are also in mental health. So, you guys, we hope that you got value from that. If you have any questions, connect with him. You can go on the show, the Dr. John Deloney Show, for crying out loud. Call in. Call in. He'll answer your questions. He's a solid guy. You will get help from him. So, if you want any more of this stuff, check out other episodes that we have. We hope that it helped you, and we love you, and we'll talk to you soon. All right, bye. Bye.